Good morning. Grace and peace to you. Indeed, Christ is alive. Our hope, our joy, our future. Thank you, Dawn, for the songs. Still can't hardly sing that 362. Mm. Good song. Turn to Acts 2. Talk about the cross. We could talk about the cross forever. So many things happening and happened at the cross. We try to to look at some of those today. Acts two twenty two. Men of Israel. This is part of Peter's talk on the day of Pentecost, as we sometimes call it, the first gospel sermon. First time anybody gives the good news about the resurrection and what that was all about. And if Israel listened to these words, Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, it was said that things were not done in a corner. Paul said that to someone to whom he was talking. It was everywhere. Everybody knew it, what Jesus did. This man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God. You nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. It was God's plan to do this. It was God's plan because we had no plan to save ourselves. We had no options. So God did it for us. But God raised him up again putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in his power. Praise God. Uh, The chief priests and the council thought they'd gotten rid of their rival and the pain in their phylacteries. Pilate thought he had gotten rid of a nuisance and the threat to the peace of Jerusalem and to his own uh, personal uh, position. And the soldiers, well, they thought they were just getting rid of another troublemaker and rebel and just doing their job. But God had other plans, as he always does. And as we understand, today is April Fool's Day. It was one of the greatest April Fool's ever pulled on the human race. You kill my son, guess what? I'm going to bring him back. And I'm going to turn that death into life. How is that possible? You know, all these mysteries and the way God works, he's just so far above us. So amazing, so wonderful. More happening here than the death of the anointed one, the Christ of God. We don't always always remember this was God dying on this cross. Son of man, son of God, God in the flesh. God came down here to die for us. Yes, in the form of Jesus of Nazareth, that the word of God become flesh. God did it for us because he loved us. And he still loves us. It was God's design and he ordained it. For us to have life, Jesus had to die and then be resurrected again. So how does that all work? Well, it's 
kind of what we're going to look at part of this. I'm not saying this exhausts everything that happened at the cross, but I think this will give us some, some good insight and ideas. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2 there. Nailed to Jesus' cross. You know, Jesus was nailed there. He died there. But other things were nailed to the cross as well, along with Jesus. Okay? And this is the way God was doing it. This was in his mind how this was all going to happen. And this is the way he saw it, spiritually speaking. And the first thing here we want to mention is that the law of commandments, that is the law of Moses, was nailed to the cross. It was nailed there and it died with Jesus. Ephesians 2.11 Therefore remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, you are called uncircumcision, for the so-called circumcision which is performed in the flesh by human hands, Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ, excluded from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. That was part of the problem here because the law of Moses was not given to the Gentiles. They were excluded from this special relationship with God. They were not in this covenant. Uh, the covenant of Abraham... Abraham was called and was given the covenant of circumcision and made, God made promises to him. And then later at Sinai when the law was given, there was another covenant when the people said, we will do all you say, Lord. And that covenant was uh, ratified, if you will, by the blood of bulls and goats there that Moses sprinkled on the people. But the Gentiles were not privy to that. They were not part of that. And that's what Paul's saying here. But then 13, but now in Christ Jesus, okay, this is what he did, in him, you formerly were far off, Gentiles, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. The blood of Christ always representing his death, okay, his death. For he himself is our peace, who made both groups into one and broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, the enmity meaning a feeling of hostility, we were enemies, that's Jew and Gentile. The enmity which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man, thus establishing peace, and might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross, by it having put to death the enmity. So the law was a double problem here. As we said, it was not given to the Gentiles, and so that created a barrier between Jew and Gentile. And ultimately, of course, God wanted to make his salvation available to all people. You know, it, was, it wasn't just the Jews, if you will, that were favored. The Jews were to be the vehicle through whom the Messiah was to come to save the whole world. By and large, they kind of failed at that, to represent God in the right way, but nevertheless, God held them together, if you will, until the time of Christ when he was born. And the second thing about the law was this, that by the law is the knowledge of sin, and as Paul writes in Galatians, everyone who is under law is under a curse. Because if you have a law, you cannot fail it in any way. 
There can be no deviation from it. You cannot mess up one little commandment. Otherwise, as it said, if you, if you break one part of the law, you are guilty of all of it because it's all one body. It's not a lot of separate commandments. It's one body, one body of law. And so the law was a curse to Israel because Israel, <laughs> read the Old Testament, they failed again and again and again and again to keep the law. And so it was a curse. And so Jesus had to do something with that law because there is the law. What do you do? It's, it's a curse hanging over the Jews in particular. Well, it was nailed in his body on the cross through his death. It was taken out of the way. The reason it could be removed is because he kept it without sin. He fulfilled the law perfectly. And that's why it could be removed, that law of commandments and ordinances, and replaced with a new covenant in which both Jew and Gentile could participate in relationship and fellowship with God. As Paul writes, in Romans chapter 8, it was the law of the spirit of life in Christ now has replaced that law of sin and death. It's a new law. It's a new covenant. And as it says there, looking at uh, 15, he abolished in his flesh the enmity, the law of commandments, to make the two into one new man. Okay, the two, Jew and Gentile, could become one in Christ Jesus in the body of Christ, the church and then reconcile them both in one body to God. So Jesus is the peacemaker, all right, through his cross, to make peace between Jew and Gentile, make them one body, and then reconcile them both, Jew and Gentile, to God, make peace between man and God. Because he is our representative, keeping the law perfectly and dying for us, is able to bring us to God. He is our hope. He is our righteousness. He is our redemption. So the law was nailed to the cross with Jesus. And it could be done that way because he kept it. He fulfilled it. The second thing, let's go to Colossians 2. Something related to this, but not exactly the same. Nailed to Jesus' cross was a certificate of debt. A list of sins and wicked deeds that we all owed to God and could never repay. Colossians 2.13 When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions. Having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Uh, as I remember, and I forget where it was, and Don might be able to correct me on this. This is the same phrase used that was used when uh, prisoners were locked in the Roman prison. And on the door of their cell, it was listed all of their crimes, their certificate of debt to Rome. Well, this is the same thing. When we transgress God's law, 
when we don't fulfill what he says to do, we become, we owe God for what we've done, for waste, for lying, for cheating, for hurting other people, for whatever. We owe God because we have transgressed his law. And so all of us, every one of us, you and me, had a certificate of debt that we owe God. But because of Christ, that was nailed to the cross because, again, he is our perfect human. He is our representative. He is the propitiation for our sins. And so that debt, that 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 certificate could be, figuratively speaking, nailed to the cross, but in God's mind, it was. But it's in Christ that it's canceled, okay? And we're going to get to that here in a little bit to see how that works. But that certificate of debt that we all owed is nailed to the cross. Now let's go over to 1 Peter. But you'll be able to see these are all interconnected. The law, of course, and then the certificate of debt because there's transgression. And now the actual deed itself. Now you may have never thought about it in this way. But our sins, our sins were in Jesus' body when he died. Because you see, our sins still existed in time, in history, didn't they? They're still out there on the record. 1 Peter 2.21 You have been called for this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. There's that statement as true. He didn't even say a bad word, a, a wrong word. You know, we, we just... You know, we just babble on and on and say worthless and waste, wasted things and say things that hurt people and we don't even think. Jesus never said a word that hurt anybody, you know, on purpose. I mean, they might have been offended by the truth, but that's amazing, isn't it? It's just incredible. Perfect man. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. I've always thought about that. There, he's there nailed to the cross, and I've pointed this out before. That cross was not, you know, 20 feet in the air. He was, he was not very far off the ground. So when you read in the Gospels how the people walked by and were making fun of him and said, come on, if you're the son of God, come on down from the cross. You know, his head was only about up here. They were almost looking him right in the face. They were really mocking him. What would you, what would I have done if I had the power to come down? If I had had the power, as he said, in the garden to have God call those legions of angels. I think the one song we sang suggested, you know, that because of his love for us, he didn't come down. He didn't say, he didn't even say anything to those people. 
did he? He didn't revile in return. He'd say, well, you're going to get yours. Just wait three days. I'll be back. He didn't say that. Or, you know, when it's all over, I'll be back to get you. He didn't say that. No, he's just humbly accepting the will of God and knowing I'm here to save you. Even you who are making fun of me, I'm here to save you. What a heart. Incredible. Verse 24 then, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. God is doing this. In God's mind, the way he's working here, our very sins are in the body of Christ on the cross. Dying with him. Dying with him. If you recall here, uh, a few weeks ago we had some lessons on the priesthood. And in the Old Testament, in some of those uh, sacrifices, the one who was offering the animal would put his hands on the head of the animal before it died uh, to show that he was identifying with the animal and that he really needed to die, that the animal was going to die in his place. Well, that's really what's going on here that our sins are being placed upon Jesus. In a sense, we are kind of putting our hands on him and saying, Lord, take my sins. That's what God was doing there on the cross. In his body, it says, and he was offered up. Again, the purpose, so that we would die to sin and live to righteousness, okay? Okay? Not that we would just be free to do whatever we want, just to, so that we wouldn't just have a clean conscience. But there's a purpose. Now, the way since he lived that perfect life, as we just saw there, no sin, no guile in his mouth. That, that's the point of it. Now, my sins are removed, so I can now strive to lead the righteous life like he did. Give my life into his hands. Again, one of the wondrous mysteries, by his wounds you were healed. You know, on the surface it makes no sense, but only in God's mind. He had to die again so that we might live. This is the way God's doing. A lot of these <laughs> contradictory thoughts in Scripture, but again, God's thoughts and minds are so far above our his thoughts and ways. And we need to accept that. Our sins were nailed to the cross in the body of Christ. All right, let's kind of start to pull this together. Go to Galatians 6. A couple of other things we want to mention here. And this would be, as Paul writes this, for a Christian, okay? For a Christian. All these other things are available, but we're going to see how, how everyone can avail themselves of this. Okay? Galatians 6.14 But may it never be that I would boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Paul wrote a lot about not boasting in men and only 
proclaiming the cross and boasting in the cross in the first Corinthians. He says, I, I just came to preach the cross, the gospel, the good news. That's all. That's all that's needed. He said, we're not to boast in anything, you know. Even if we have been given the ability to do something, whether it's to speak or teach or uh, to give especially or have great faith, we have to see that that all comes from God. It is not from me. I can't boast in anything except God and except in the cross of Christ. Two necessary deaths here that Paul talks about. The world has been crucified to me. Through Jesus' cross, the world was crucified to Paul. The world was now dead to Paul. He had been freed from its power and he no longer serves the world. He says, the world has no claims on me now. The world's power structure, the world's ways. John writes, don't love the world, the things in the world. All that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. The world is dying. It's passing away. It's a warning. Quickly in Colossians 1.13. For he rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. The domain of darkness is the world. The world of Satan. Sir, doing his will in the ways of the world. He's rescued us. He's brought us out of that. And Paul uses that great imagery of he was crucified to him. It's dead. It has no power on me now. We don't want to look back at the world and turn back to the world. And I know, yeah, we're still tempted. We're all still tempted. Yours truly included by the world. But we want to understand by, through the cross we are crucified to the world and it has no hold on us. And we have to live that way. But then in conjunction with that, what else does he say? In the cross of our Lord Jesus in which he is going to boast only, the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Through the cross, the Christian himself dies to the world. He's now dead in relationship to the world. He's been cut off from it. And he lives a different life for a different purpose with a different king. I always, I always love that place in Acts that talks about uh, the, the early Christians when they were out proclaiming the gospel and they were saying, they were accused of saying, well, there's another king now. Another king, not Caesar. Well, amen, there is another king, and he's above Caesar, he's above the president, he's above the prime minister, and whoever else you want to put in the slot. He's the king of kings and the lord of lords, the ruler of the kings of the earth, and that's the king we need to serve, first of all, and really all the time. Christ Jesus. And so, and he says, I've been crucified to the world through the cross. 
Let's put it together. Let's go to Romans 6. The law, the certificate of debt, our sins, the world, myself, all crucified with Christ. How did that happen? When did that happen? You know, this is so important because even the Christian world doesn't understand this. A lot of people in who believe in Christ don't understand how this happened. Romans 6, 4. Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death. Into death. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. There's that new life translated from the one kingdom to the other. New life. For if we have been united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his resurrection. The beautiful imagery of being buried in the water, baptism, and coming up again. We've talked about that. But this relates to the cross. Maybe we don't talk about that enough. The next verse. Knowing this, that our old self was crucified with him. That's what Paul just said in Galatians 6, isn't it? He also said that in Galatians 2.20. I've been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. This is how we take advantage of or avail ourselves of all the work and things that happen at the cross of Christ when we die with him, when we are buried with him in the waters of baptism. That's where it happens. Our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with. Our body of sin, in his body he took our sins, 1 Peter 2. It's done away. That, that's where I contact and, and get into the power of what happened with Jesus at the cross when I die with him there. So that we would no longer be slaves to sin. Paul said, I've been crucified to the world. Then notice the next verse. For he who has died is freed from sin. Unless you die, you're never free from sin. Can't be. The only way we can die spiritually speaking is in the waters of baptism through faith in Jesus Christ, what he did. This is God's way of putting us in touch with the cross. This is how we die and anticipate the resurrection to new life. We are raised to live a new life, a righteous life. But then we also anticipate, like he was raised from the dead, as we considering that today, that someday after we pass on and cross over, however you say it, we die and are buried, 
that we will be raised again just like he was. Why? Because of what he did and because I died with him at one point to get in touch of the power of his cross in which my sins, my certificate of debt and the law were all put to death. It's beautiful. So if you have friends out there who say all you have to do is believe in Jesus and you're saved, you really need to take them to Romans 6 and show them you're not in touch with the power of the cross yet. You haven't died with him and you're not, you've not been born again. You've not been raised to a new life. It's the teaching of the Word of God. It's great and powerful imagery, but it's what happens through the cross, through our baptism into Christ Jesus. Close out this morning. If anyone here is ready to die with Christ, we're ready to help you do that, to take that step, to be born again. You just, you just don't die. You die till the old man dies, but you are raised new and fresh and forgiven in Christ to a new life, the new creature, the new creation, as Paul writes. If you are a Christian, you've been struggling with life, problems, temptation, and you need prayer, you want prayer, we're here to assist you and help you. We can all pray with you, pray for you. Again, as we've said before, if you want to talk to myself or Mike or Mike, separately or Rick or Don, whoever you're comfortable with, we'll do that anytime. Just give us a call. If you're ready to respond this morning, please come while we stand and sing.